Welcome to the Painted Target Podcast. Episode 28, the Painted Target Podcast. I'm here with Nick again. So, topic I wanted to get into today, which it's in a, a real important topic to me. Me and Nick were just talking about it for about 40 minutes before the podcast, is um, this topic of fueling our problems, the, the fuel behind our problems. Now, you could word it in many ways, you know, the source, whatever, whatever however you want to name it, but when it comes to our problems, something that Dr. David Hawkins has said many times, I didn't understand it for a while, but he said, you know, when somebody has a problem and it's going on for years and years and years, basically a long, just a real long time, he used to always say that we're juicing the problem. We're getting something out of it. That's why it's still there. So that's kind of a higher level version of how to explain it because you have to be in a position where you're aware enough to know that the problem is usually mental. You know, it's created in a sense by your reaction to a situation that would be considered suboptimal. And you have to be at that point to where you could see that to even be in a position where you could say, well, you're juicing it. So, that's, how, that's kind of how I look at this whole fuel theory is, you know, you essentially have a fear, it pops up, you create a mental block, which is usually just resisting what is, and then we fuel that block with the mind because we're angry at our situation. So you're essentially fueling something, quote unquote, a problem that you have because you want things to be different than they are right now. So, you know, I've said this many times in writing and in online and stuff, but things are what they are right now. And we would do better to take stock in that and try to find the fuel in that situation. So, Nick, I mean, what's your what's your view on this theory? I mean, I think a lot of it comes down to resistance. I think our fuel is just simply resisting. And then the anger comes from wanting it to be different. But tell us how tell us how you look at it. Well, we were touching on this a little bit before we started, as you said. Um, I think a lot of it comes down to what what you have said, resistance. I would just, I guess, flesh that out in a slightly different direction and say exactly what we talked about before. That being that the vast majority of people, you know, whatever your way is, is the way like you don't see any other way. If you make coffee in the morning following, you know, however you go about doing it, that that's just how you do it. Like you never even think of doing it a different way. So you may suck at making coffee. Well, maybe if you did something a little bit different, it would come out differently, but as easy as that sounds for most people, that's extremely hard to do. Instead of just looking at the situation and saying, what the situation tell me what the right answer is? If I'm doing X and it's not working, 
let me try Y. Maybe Y will suck worse. Who knows? But at least then we know that's the wrong direction. Now let me try the other direction. Uh, but for most people, you know, I think part of it, especially in Western culture, actually, I think in, in most advanced cultures, you could probably argue is is trained, is conditioned, you yeah, know. Programming. Right. You know, you're, you're taught in early education all the way up through advanced education, like essentially someone gives you a framework, um, you know, a, a lesson plan, an SOP, whatever it is, and you follow that. So most people are essentially conditioned out of just asking the question of, okay, well, I have all these pieces. How would these pieces best fit together? So to some degree, it's essentially what a, a two-year-old does. I mean, if you've watched like a two or three-year-old, they'll be playing with a toy um, that's supposed to open or close or have some sort of mechanism. And you'll see them get stuck in a pattern and they just keep pounding out that same pattern, whether it's hitting a button or turning a knob and you'll see them start to get frustrated. And then, you know, you can redirect them. Nope. Put your hand here, turn the knob like this. And then they're all excited, but they just, you can see them. It's almost like they get stuck in a psychological rut. Like the knobs right there, just turn it, but they're just, they're stuck in the rut. And so they don't see anything else. So in other words, kind of, it's almost a, it's a patterned behavior, and if we were to go off this word of fuel, it's almost being fueled because that's what they've been doing the whole time, and they don't know anything else. Right. It's like everybody's a, and perhaps a, a silly analogy here, but everybody's a train instead of a you know an off-road truck. You know, the train only has the rail, so once you start that engine up wherever the rails go, that is the only place it goes. There are no other options versus, well, I can follow the road or I can choose to drive down a different road or just off the road entirely. Yeah. And one thing that comes to mind when you're saying this is there, it hits a point where, you know, I'm sitting here talking about fuel, but it's like I said, there is no fuel quote unquote, that's driving your problem if you're not even in a position to you know psychologically see that and that's kind of what i got from what you said is we could say that people that have taken the time to kind of look in look at the quote-unquote dark side you know see all these things about ourselves that we try to repress but if you haven't done that there's no way to find the fuel because you're on such a pattern, like you said, with the train tracks. I mean, there's no other option. So in a lot of ways, this leads to the epidemic because we have something that would be, and I mean, I'm using the word fuel, but it's just more or less symbolic that we're in a position where, like I said, it leads to the epidemic because we don't even know we're doing it in the first place because the thing... I was telling you that one of the most important times I've had in my life as far as, you know, being on this path and, you know, breaking away from that, that mental structure, we'll call it the word. I love that word structure because I think that's kind of the goal in life is to break free from that program structure. And what was important to me when it happened was it was something as simple as having the thought or having the insight of there's nothing out there 
that's happening to me, there might be something out there that sparked it, so to speak, but there's nothing out there that is quote unquote fueling or causing me to feel the way that I feel right now. It's a reaction based off of the situation at hand. And because we can't, you know, wrestle with life as we try to do, it creates that tension. And that tension, that resistance is what continues to fuel these problems. So the thing that's interesting is, once again, and I think this is what you were saying, is how is someone supposed to know that it isn't something out there that's affecting them and that anything's fueling it? Because they don't have the awareness to see that as it is due to what? Programming. 100%. And I suppose the, you know, you're kind of ending up with a chicken and egg question there of what comes first. And I think for a lot of people, it starts with the little things. It, It doesn't, I think for a lot of people, maybe it's some form of politics, but it can take any form of, I'm being told X, Y, or Z, but I'm perceiving A, B, and C. Like it, things aren't matching up. And, you know, it, it's kind of like a, a toothache, you know? As soon as you feel it a little bit, you're just going to start worrying the crap out of it because th- this is annoying. Like suddenly there's a crack in my view of the world. You know, one plus one is, isn't equal in two. This is a problem. I need to understand this. Some people, I guess, like you and I tend to, you know, say, uh, let's see how far this rabbit hole goes. Uh, you know, others may find enough of an answer after one or two steps. And, you know, you have the whole spectrum in between. The key, and, you know, I think you can get lost in this term, but I think one of the keys is something you hear, maybe not often, but you definitely see it pop up in, shall we say, enlightenment realms and enlightenment literature, <clears throat> and that is to be childlike. You know, from the perspective of, you know... Before programming, basically. Right. And, you know, you can tell a kid how to use something, and they may say, well, that's great. This is a dress, but now I'm going to wear it on my head. Okay. You know, from that perspective, like, I, I know I'm expected to look at this problem like this, but, well, what are the actual pieces I have, whether they're literal or physical? Well, what... What could be another way to handle this? And it's not always obvious. You know, sometimes it just won't be a good answer. But that, that no, I guess depending on your perspective, that is still better than trying to beat your head against the wall and saying, I'm just going to do X. Well, huh, there's no good answer. I know X is probably going to be beating my head on the wall. But at least now, <clears throat> to your point, you're not as trapped because you're not sitting there asking, why am I beating my head against the wall? You know exactly why. Now, it may be a problem that you figure out over the course of a week, a month, or 10 years. But having that awareness can make all the difference in the world. Yeah, and that, it goes back to this definition of enlightenment. You know, something that when I started on this, you know, whatever. I don't even like to say path anymore because that's just, that's become basically a buzzword. But when I started asking these hard questions and it was, it was the same story as anybody else. 
except, I mean, I don't talk, I don't talk about it a ton with specifics. You know the story, but it's more of every life thing that you could have happen as far as our just stereotypical life change essentially happened to me all at one time. Now, it was enough to feel like shit, to not feel good, to, you know, this wasn't a good time. So usually that's what kind of sparks these, these, this search is for me, it was nothing more than the question. And I've written about this. I've said this a million times. Instead of a full-blown depression, it was the question of, I'm sure there's a way to technically not feel like this. I was lucky enough, whatever you want to call that, if it was just a broad, you know, an expanded awareness, some divine intervention, I don't know. But I always had that question or that thought of, you know, technically this could be better. And another time that this happened to me was when my mom was killed back way back in the day. And, you know, I was in a desert at the time this happened. And I can remember the same thing as when they told me, I looked up at the ceiling, I still remember, and it was like this shitty building we were in. I mean, you could barely call it a building. It was like a mud hut. And I remember seeing the the ceiling and it was like falling apart. And I remember it hit me then and it hit me about three times in my life where I was like, well, there's really only about a couple ways this can go when something like this happens to someone, especially when it happens to you when you're, you know, in the desert. And it, you know, there's the one choice, which is not good. There's a second choice, which is not usually good. And then there's a third choice that is, it could be different. You could be that person, even though I wasn't for a long time, but you could be that person that doesn't fall into a depression, that doesn't become an alcoholic, that doesn't kill themselves, that doesn't whatever. You could technically be that person. And I've always had that, you know, pop up throughout during hard times. But I'm bringing this up because I would wonder about these guys that were considered enlightened and, you know, what's that definition? And me and you, have we've had these talks before the podcast, offline for probably a while now about the whole going into the cave and being enlightened and then be standing in the middle of New York City or something and being enlightened. You know, what... What does that actually mean? Because obviously the stereotype is you're in a cave, you're meditating all day, whatever. And in some ways it's like, well, if I dropped everything and went to a cave and just sat there quiet all day, I would consider that a form of enlightenment for sure. But I'm bringing all this up because I think the real definition of, let's say, an expanded awareness waking up, enlightenment, realization, whatever it is. I think number one, it's subjective, like we said, and like Hawkins said, it's subjective. It's like you said before the podcast, you could be at the top of the mountain looking down at the valley, but everyone's got a different view. Um, I think the definition of all of these things is nothing more, and this is kind of a topic I want to get into next is, it's nothing more than breaking free from a mental structure, 
from a psychological programmed mental structure. And like the post that I put online today was essentially the point of it was you have to ask the hard questions, but the only reason you're asking the hard questions in life is because you've spent your whole life in a program. You were born, you had some pain, some things happened, and you were programmed. So in my opinion, that's that's what these terms mean. So what's your view on all that? I guess I'm... <laughs> You know, not a shock. I agree with a lot of that. <clears throat> I guess the way I see it is along the lines of you want to go see some great fun action movie. You know, most people don't care how it was made. They don't. They straight up don't want to know that. Hey, this this great scene where you had all the superheroes fighting. You know, like you can go online and you can go on YouTube and you can get the video of what it looked like when they actually filmed it on the green screen. And it looks completely idiotic. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then, you know, they do all the, you know, fancy, uh, you know, graphics work, and it looks amazing. Well, I mean, let's just be frank. <clears throat> yeah, that's one of the reasons they say that you don't ever wake anybody up. You know, people have to choose to walk their own path. Because some people just want to enjoy the action movie and to be left alone with it. You know, they may not care that, oh, you know, that character, you know, wasn't really standing on top of a Jeep, didn't really have a laser rifle in their hand. You know, it was a, you know, a coffee mug just as a placeholder. Okay. Well, great. I, I don't care. I don't want to know that. And well, you and I do. <laughs> yeah. That's it. And you know, it's a good point. It's like the, <clears throat> there was, what was it? It was, uh, was it Pythagorea, the philosopher? I don't even know if I said his name right. You know, it's the obviously it's the guy, the philosopher for back in the day who was very esoteric. Truth be told, I have not done a lot of research on him, but I read a lot of his stuff. But that post I did today on Instagram, that was the thesis of the post is somebody asked him basically why be a philosopher. Now, you can define a philosopher um any way you want, but we'll just call it, you know, somebody that's looking for wisdom, seeking, whatever, asking our questions. And it was pretty, it was what you said. It was, you know, some people want to know the why behind the questions, you know, they, they want to know more. Now, the next question would be, which is very philosophical is, well then, and this is what I put in the post is, well, like, what's the point of living life? I mean, if you're living life and the whole point of your life is an examination of life, then what the hell's the point? Well, what I came up with is, like I said earlier, we're born. We don't know what the hell we're doing. The people we're born to don't know what the hell they're doing. And we become programmed. If you're lucky enough at a certain age to stop and say, shit, there's actually something outside of this programming now you have to start going down the rabbit hole and we're lucky because we have so much information relating to that rabbit hole that you actually can go down it and come back out of it. You know, you, there's, <laughs> you know, I mean, there's something you can gain from it because yeah. I would argue at one point, you've known me for most of this, 
<clears throat> most of the time I've been on this this path, but there were a few times where I could honestly say that I kind of got lost in it. It, it was it was almost like uh, this is this is having the opposite effect at this point. But that's also part of it. That's what happens when you ask these hard questions, et cetera. And that's why I'm, I'm always busting on, you know, guys online that are just yelling and screaming through tweets and do this and do that and cold shower and fasting above and, and it'll <laughs> fix everything. It's like, well, no, it's not because, you know, there's a lot more to it. And you, in other words, what I'm saying is, you have to go down the rabbit hole. You have to ask why. And I think that that's almost a prerequisite to waking up and doing all these things. But also like someone like Kapil Gupta would say, who's one of my favorite teachers, you know, he would say all this stuff that we're saying is complete bullshit. Waste of time. You're analyzing stuff. Just get to the truth, drop it, and move on. And I actually agree with that. But I would say that it does take a certain step to get there because someone like me will sit down at my computer, write 50 pages of my current situation, break it all down. I, I like to use this analogy. This is how I work. This is how I train. This is how I've become what I've become at the time I have and, you know, dropped the chains that were the mind is I put everything on the table. I break it all apart into pieces and then I blow the pieces off the table. That's the easiest way that I could describe it. But I had to go through that somewhat analytical mind-based path to get there. You know what I mean? 100%. You know, I've read some of Gupta's stuff and I, I don't disagree with you. I, I I'll be honest, I won't say I'm a huge fan of his. I, I get what he's saying. And uh, my initial take on him was it was almost more of an arrogance. But I, I wouldn't say that anymore. I, I think, and, you know, hey, maybe if you and I go far enough, you know, we'll have a similar point of view. But to a point, I think it comes down to the path for anyone and everyone is unique. So whether it's, you know, your exact path, Jason, or mine, you know, if I told you to follow mine, you're going to struggle with it and it's probably not going to work for you. And at some point you're just going to lose your shit. And it would be the same if I tried to follow your exact path, you know, any path would overlap at certain places, you know, like the classic analogy, you know, trails in the woods, you know, they overlap, they crisscross, and they come back together and they diverge again. But they're all heading in the same general direction. <clears throat> so, you know, my point with Gupta and that would be that I get what he's saying. Like, I, I, I see it. But I, what I struggle with, and maybe it's just a, a personal thing for me, is that to me, and, you know, I, I like my, uh, well, well, we'll use a, something closer to your world. That would be like handing somebody, uh, you know, a high-end, you know, long-range rifle and just saying, here you go, you know, here's some good ammunition. Now, you know, just take position, aim, breathe properly, and fire. And they're coming nowhere near that target. You know, they, they might just hit the dirt in front of them. Everything you said was absolutely correct. 
but the problem is there's they don't have the greater awareness for that to convey enough information to them yeah no totally true and really when it comes to his work that's a that's a, that's a good point that you made because you could buy his book anywhere I have all his books. I've read them multiple times. Atmaman, I've read probably five times. Um, but you do have to be in a certain place to kind of see where he's coming from because what I like about his work is I think he takes the truth of a situation, lays it out, boom, moves on to the next chapter. And I think that's kind of what you're saying is it's like he's putting out high level stuff, quote unquote, high level, whatever, but it's not going to pertain to most people. It's like his comment about, uh, somebody asks about life and death. And he said, I've said this a million times. I love it. And he's like, anything that has a shelf life has no purpose. He said something along those lines, you know, basically saying, if we know we're not going to be here forever, it doesn't mean anything. And you can read that and go, shit, man, that's like pessimistic and not really helping me with what I'm trying to do here. But what I took from that saying is it doesn't mean anything that you put on it from a program perspective. Life means nothing on how you're going to specifically describe it. You know, hey, Nick, my life is, I mean, I don't have kids, but my life is kids, let's say. Well, if you don't have kids, what the hell's life mean to you? You know, so he was basically saying, whatever you're going to define it as, or society's going to define it as, or whatever, doesn't mean anything. Because it's simply something that we experience, and then we pass on, Maybe we experience it again some other way. Maybe we don't. But you're right. I mean, his stuff kind of hits, in my opinion, his stuff hits you like a shotgun blast. And it's like whatever you do with the wounds, you know, you got to figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) So hopefully you have a tourniquet or something. But, I mean, it's interesting, this whole conversation of, you know, kind of what enlightenment means. And it's like I was telling you before, you know, I, for me subjectively, you know, my, the process that I've taken on this and really gone past, obviously the self-help and the positive psychology and therapy and all these things just going way beyond that is I always had the question or always had the knowing that there was something more, but my biggest, I had many, at one point I was essentially documenting them all where like every time something would happen, like an insight or something that would kind of just chisel away at that foundation a little more I would write it down and then I eventually just stopped because I felt like it was happening to me all the time but one of my biggest things was this concept of like I said earlier of the fuel of what's fueling this because nothing out there is fueling it so there's something I'm resisting something I'm doing that's causing this quote unquote pain. And then it kind of segued into this talk of enlightenment because I'm reading a book now, um, told you about it, the streams of wisdom by Dustin DiPerna, I think his name is. And he's essentially trying to put the data available on quote unquote enlightenment, or let's say the path. And he's trying to put it into like a scientific framework. 
And one thing that he constantly says is with the data they have is that one person can have this state, one person can have that state, one person could say they met God, the other person could say they met, you know, Krishna or whoever, the other person could say they met an elephant with a dress on, it doesn't matter what it is, but there's one common theme and it ties into our topic is it's always a break from some sort of like egoic slash mental structure. So what we'll kind of like end this podcast on is something that we've discussed before, which is this idea of, you know, enlightenment is killing the ego or killing the mind, which I've been guilty of probably saying that because I've, my path has very much been through the mind, but that's not really what any of this stuff is. It's about essentially being in a position where you're not controlled by its programming, by its structure. So just tell me what you think about that, and then we'll wrap this thing up. I'd put a slightly different spin on it and say that at a very simplistic level, enlightenment is changing your perspective from you telling the world how the world will be to you asking the world what the world is. Yep. Good point. That's good. Saying I'm here, show me what you are. And you know, your feelings about it be damned. If you know, (laughs) if it's a thunderstorm, it's a thunderstorm. If it's a sunny day, it's a sunny day. You, You roll with it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in really a good way to explain it is really the word perspective. You know, in that book, he uses the word vantage point. There's a difference between a change of state, which is this euphoric moment, which I would say is, you know, nothing more than the mind taking a break. And then you see the reality and you go, oh, shit. And then you have a change of state. But the goal is not to be in some happy, you know, realm all the time, which is what they try to do at these conferences and stuff. It's to actually have a change in vantage point where you live your day from a different, as you said, perspective, because I think that's an extremely important point is it really is about perspective. You know, it can, it could sound kind of dualistic with the whole perspective thing because it should be a better one than this one. But the bottom line is it's how you view the world, (laughs) you know, which is, which is what you say, which is what you said. So um, yeah. yeah one last thing I'd throw in if you don't mind to hear is an easy example of that that I hear all the time everybody's heard this is you know hey you know Miss America what do you want I want world peace or how can the world be such an evil place that you have a child starve or you know a parent see their child die for whatever reason it's no, that's not pleasant. Um, you know, that's a terrible thing. And I, I suppose this is going to sound weird to a lot of people, but don't judge that. That's the world. Like, you know, the world is what the world is. It's more or less it's each of our challenge to understand that. Whether you see it as, you know, the nature of duality or there are other ways you could see it as well. But, you know, the whole, well, we have to, you know, we need absolute world peace on the entire planet right now. Okay, well, that's you trying to impose your perception on the world. And 
you know, I, I've never even heard of a legendary figure pulling that one off. So, <laughs> yeah. And the interesting, you know, this goes back to our other podcasts about the facts, you know, that's actually not factual in the sense of there's not going to be a world that is completely full of peace because there never has been and there's never going to be and we can wish it all we want but it's not going to happen and you know somebody that i would say is you know up there uh you know has a very let's just call it open awareness is gonna know that and that's the reality you know I was listening to something the other day and <clears throat> the guy was kind of talking about the ego and all this stuff. He's like, you know, everything is what it is. The ego allows us to see these dualities, the good and the bad. The mind allows us to see it. The point is to not live in that or be consumed by it. But a lot of this stuff, you know, that we call spiritual or woo woo or, you know, all these topics there's a lot of facts in them, you know, because there is no factual way that if somebody wants that piece or whatever, like it's not going to happen. This actually at this time in our lives, I guess this is my point, is the world. And that's what you said. I mean, this is the world. So instead of wrestling with it, it's having a complete awareness of it. And it doesn't mean if bad things happen that you just kind of sit back and don't care about it. I here's a random story. I the other day I was driving home <clears throat> country road, deer all over the place and two lane road, beautiful beautiful drive actually. And there was all this smoke in the air. So I'm driving up and there's all this smoke. And I get closer and I realize the smoke is from tires. A bunch of people slammed on their brakes. And I thought it was an accident. Well, I looked down, I could still see it. And, you know, it's not a great thing to see, but I saw this small doe, essentially back legs, totally blown out. And it was essentially like low crawling across the road. So if you could picture that, it's like a deer without its back legs and just its front legs doing everything on the in its power to just get off the road, but the back legs don't work. I mean, especially if you're an animal person, not something you want to see every day. And I can remember driving by and thinking, man, that is jacked up. Like I remember thinking, you know, I kind of like stopped for a second. I look back, I tried to see because I'm like, if these people are just going to leave and they're just going to leave that animal to like, just cr just like bleed out on the side of the road. I mean, you know, I don't know what I would do, but like maybe go back and like, I don't know, try to do something. But the point I'm bringing this up is you don't just look at that and say, well, that sucks. And, you know, whatever. And then just keep hauling ass and, you know, hit another deer. It's like you're, you're going to be aware that there's some things in life that are jacked up. <laughs> but that very much. And I remember thinking. It's, you know, it's a stupid example, but I remember driving away and thinking exactly what you said, which was, you know, this is life. We have roads, there's animals, we have cars, they go fast and this shit happens. So, you know, it's a small example, but that's like what was popping in my head when you were talking about world peace. Cause it's like, there's just some shitty things that happen, 
and you do what you can, but you, you know, really all you could do is be aware of it. Like you said. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously you can have a whole conversation just on that, but that's in, indeed the gist of it. I mean, that's, that's, a, you know, yeah, I guess the entire point of, you know, the difference between trying to force your view on the world and looking at the world and saying, what have you put in front of me? You know, yeah. maybe you're the, maybe you're the prince, maybe you're the pauper. You know, it's, <laughs> it is what it is. I mean, it's, yep. the world's going to be the world. Nature's going to go on as it does. And, you know, it's like I said before, you can have a bad day and then go outside and look at a tree and the tree doesn't give a shit. Everything just moves on. And if you're not aware of that, you'll be left behind. So anyway, all right, we'll wrap it up there. Thanks for listening guys.